0: For four years on What the Hell is a Pastor, we've been telling our stories and hearing the stories of others. There have been one-offs, ongoing sagas, and even meta-reflections on the nature of storytelling. Many pastors are born storytellers, with a keen sense of story. It comes natural to us. But after our first interview with Alice a few weeks ago, we realized that this is a kind of story we've never told before. Alice shared with us her personal connections to an ongoing, sprawling public scandal, one that not only racked a historic local church, but harmed a thriving gay community, too. There are plot lines and big personalities and a hefty dose of online sleuthing as the truth about pioneers unfolds. We realize that there is a story here, one that we want to tell carefully and with purpose. So for the next few weeks, we'll be producing a series on Pioneers Durham, the church slash business funded by the anti-LGBTQ Association of Related Churches, implanted by two recent Duke Divinity graduates in the heart of, as one of our storytellers puts it, the gayest part of a gay city. This is a fundamentally united Methodist story, full of process and procedure. It's a pandemic story reminding us of the frustrations and obfuscations of 2020 and 2021. But most of all, it's a heartbreaking church story, one that reminds Ethan and me of the reasons why we tell these stories in the first place. We hope you'll join us. Next up, part one of Pioneering Durham, Alice. Every church has its share of unique church members. You have your priesters, the people who you see twice a year at holidays, and your once a monthers who enjoy brunch and club sports too much to make an exclusive commitment on a Sunday morning. You've also got your seasonal members, your distant family members, the occasional visitor, and of course the legacy donor who might participate at any level but always gives just enough in tithes to have a deciding voice at any church crossroads or controversy. And then you have your church people. The dedicated minority of church members who keep things running for everyone else to enjoy. They're your church council chair, your staff parish relations committee member, your treasurer, your trustees, your admin council members at large you'll likely see the most Sundays in service, and not only because they have to be there to give an announcement or set up the potluck. They're also your most regular small group or Bible study attendees, the ones who sign up to teach Sunday school, the ones who get nudges from the pastor about ministry whenever their denomination gets a little low on active clergy. Any church that has a thriving music or youth or feeding ministry or any ministry at all doesn't by necessity have a rock star pastor. What they do always have, though, is a deep bench of church people. Alice is one of these people.
1: Well, Sundays we had church in the morning and then we had like lunch and, a, and maybe a nap. And then after orchestra rehearsal, we had church choir and then youth group. On Monday nights, we had handbells. On Wednesday nights, we had the instrumental ensemble. I was at church three or four nights a week. I played on the church basketball team. <laughs> Yeah, I guess church basketball is a foreign thing to some people, but it's a very interesting niche experience. All of those things, my dad played softball, which is very much, I think, the legacy that my parents have given me. My dad at various times growing up was lay leader or was on staff parish or was responsible for X, Y, or Z. My mom has been on this committee or that committee sort of thing. And so I also didn't really know of a church relationship that was passive. Going to youth annual conference yearly and leadership conferences in the summers, choir ski trips, all of those things were were absolutely a part of my life. It may be helpful to know that I'm a cradle Methodist. I was born into, baptized into, later confirmed in the United Methodist Church. My grandparents were charter members of the church that we went to, and that church is also where my parents got married, where my sister got married, so has a lot of rich roots. That's in South Carolina and thankfully not the topic of the scandal in this story.
0: (laughs) But After attending the University of Chicago for school and eventually finding her way to Durham, North Carolina for work as a teacher, Alice found herself needing to find a new church home.
1: When I went to Chicago, found it hard to find a place that made sense in college. So kind of dabbled a little bit with the Lutheran student ministry and the Episcopal student ministry and a few other kind of various local congregations to try to find a fit, but didn't really find one in Chicago. And then went back to South Carolina, rejoined my parents at the at the church that they were going to, and then came to Durham. And then um, after I sort of got into the classroom, wanted to find a faith home of my own. And so started visiting by myself to find the right fit.
0: Luckily for her, Alice found that home at Trinity United Methodist.
1: I don't know if I'm typical in this regard. I tend to think that I am not. But what I'm really looking for in a church to find a church home is the music. Nothing I don't care much for, but I'm less affected by sermons that are preached and much more affected by music and liturgy and that sort of thing. So some of the kind of classical church things that you think about were really important to me, like a pipe organ. And the first time that I visited, I mean, just a full spread of brass musicians. There were also handbells. There was a choir. So that really robust music ministry is, is what kind of got me in the door. And then I sat beside this very sweet lady. Her name was Mary Quick. And she sat not... I mean, beside me on the same pew, and this was before COVID, so probably you know, like three feet away or something. And during passing of the pew, she quickly introduced herself and almost adopted me. Basically, then she wanted to know when she could take me out to lunch, and and just she just like wrapped me in these big loving arms of words. I was like, well, this is it. This is like this is my home.
0: Trinity UMC sits in a historic part of downtown Durham a few blocks from the Durham Bowl Stadium, Durham Performing Arts Center, City Hall, the County Courthouse, and the American Tobacco Campus. Chances are, if you visited Durham, you've been close to Trinity. Trinity has a long history in Durham too, with its roots in the first Methodist church organized in the area in 1832. In 1861, a pine church capable of seating 200 was founded on the same plot of land where Trinity's current building now stands. Washington Duke, who served in the Confederate Navy, founded what would become the world's largest tobacco company, and in whose name the Duke Endowment was established, was a charter member. The current building was finished in 1924, after the original church burned to the ground in a fire. As many old churches in the South do, Trinity shares the complicated past of the city it's in. Durham was home to a black Wall Street in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, akin to the Greenwood District in Tulsa, with many thriving black businesses, some of which received their seed money from Washington Duke and his family. Durham in the 60s also saw the construction of Highway 147, the Durham Freeway, which connects downtown with Research Triangle Park, destroying black wealth built up in the Haiti Business District. Trinity's church building, standing on North Church Street, easily accessible from East Main and North Roxborough, highlights the tension inherent in the Bull City.
1: It's a very beautiful wood and stone sanctuary with stained glass. It has a steeple downtown that you can see from a lot of downtown blocks. There is a large homeless population. There is also a lot of of population around the church that has much higher rates of unemployment, higher rates of crime, tends to have children attending schools on free and reduced lunch, lower socioeconomic status, just sort of less opportunity. So it has a very interesting relationship on on one side of the church that way. And then on the other side, physically of the church, it butts up against downtown and some pretty expensive and, and big businesses and banks and financial places and hotels and booming new restaurants and this hip kind of nightlife gentrification scene that's that's going on too so it's in a really interesting place
0: trinity is in a crucial location for church ministries seeking to serve some of the most disadvantaged populations in Durham it's
1: richly rooted in local ministry especially Um, a group called Open Table, a homeless ministry to help transition homeless populations into not only housing and more permanence, but also jobs. They have a free store with clothes, a lot of which are like interview clothes, to help connect them to jobs. Um, They provide meals. And that really operates outside of the building, and then Trinity's building also shares office space with the Habitat for Humanity Center.
0: But what continued to draw Alice back week after week was Trinity's new pastor, who began serving there in July 2016, shortly after Alice visited.
1: She, she was absolutely wonderful. And the first time that I met her, it's it's really great that I liked her because the first time I met her was actually a complete disaster or felt like a complete disaster. I was seeing somebody and he and I, I thought were very, very serious. And he ended things suddenly and just kind of like ghosted. And I was totally beside myself, out of control, didn't know what to do, was scared and emotional and was trying to fix things from all these different points of view. And I was talking to my parents. I had already gotten on the list to start seeing a professional therapist and to, to kind of working through those things. But my parents in in the church experience that they had said, you should talk to your pastor. And I said, Hmm. well, my pastor just started like, it's like her third week, you know, like I don't have a relationship with this person. I don't know what I'm, what am I supposed to do? She's not going to want to see me, but I needed all the help that I could get. So I wrote her and asked if we could meet and I showed up and she like was only half unpacked in this very masculine looking study that has like the wood panels and like old church kind of thing. There was like pink carpet in the parlor kind of, kind of piece. And before we even started speaking, before I even could get my name out, I just started bawling. I just lost it. Just could not hold it together. And so she sat me down and we talked and, and I was at, I guess, I'm trying to think age wise. I think at the time I was like 25 God bless her for sitting a 25 year old down and trying to convince them this wasn't the end of their life at 25. I was this like totally independent woman. I fell for this guy so quickly and so intensely that I hadn't even really seen it coming. And then I I was having this identity crisis. It was just such a mess. But she was on her second marriage and had had a complicated first marriage and had experienced a lot of the heartbreak that she felt like I was expressing. And so we really bonded quickly over over that. I don't remember a whole lot of the conversation other than constantly thinking to myself, this woman must think I'm crazy. This woman must think I'm crazy. This woman must think I'm crazy. And her saying, you're young, things can still turn around. But what I want to say to you the most, Alice, in this moment and in every moment forward is that the only guarantee we have from, from anyone or anything is from God, and that is that He will always choose us. And I really held on to that.
0: With the pastor's support, Alice and later her husband began to get more involved at Trinity.
1: The church was was growing in some ways, maybe not as, as quickly or as rapidly as everybody wants to see. It never does. But I felt like those things didn't matter so much to me because I felt like where I was was true. I felt like I was in a really organic, Place where the right conversations were happening, where conversations were happening, where I knew exactly what to expect when I walked in the door, and where I was not afraid to push back or to express an opinion or to challenge because I knew that I was in a loving, supportive, progressive space that was truly there, not claiming to have answers, but to be a a place of discourse and a place of support. And that was so rare, both in my experience and just kind of in the view that Christianity has in the public that I just was was going frequently to all of the things there, just kind of couldn't get enough of it either. And was so excited to show my now husband that environment. And I remember having a conversation with him where we talked about all of the church hurt that he had experienced over, over his life. And I said, Yeah, you know, I'd love for you to just go with me, you know, a couple of times, but I I want you to know that I hear what you're saying, and this place is different. You'll feel it when you walk in. I know you will. You'll feel it. This place is different. And sure enough, after he went the first time or two, I heard him talking to a friend, and he said, "You know, yeah, I've been I've been going to church some with Alice and." Um, I couldn't hear the other end of the conversation, but but heard my now husband talking. And he said, nah, nah, man, but this place is different. They get it. This is a real place. I know.
0: This is the like happy moment before the true crime happens. It is.
1: It It totally uh... is. Yeah. Yeah. And it was good. It was so good. And we would get lunch with different folks and we, uh, you know, we're building relationships and the pastor convinced my husband to uh, join trustees. So now he was not only going occasionally, but he was involved in the behind the scenes mess of, of stuff that people don't want to be involved in. But she really empowered him to, to have a voice. And he was he was on the COVID task force. So when we started looking at reopening, so, so that pastor took us into COVID. So took us into the Zooming from the Parsonage Porch Zoom breakout room fellowship hours that we would have after, where 30 or so people, it wasn't very many of us, would join in and then we'd go into breakout rooms and discuss. And that fellowship hour was really impactful. And even before that, actually, my mom would come to visit and she, she would, we would plan her visit around her getting to go to Trinity with me. And so even in COVID, when we were, had those fellowship hours, I was like, you know, I usually listen to church on Sunday morning and she was like, yes, I'm so excited, let's do it. So that was, that was interesting, and I think that things were a little bit scary, but things were still good. Th- things were still good.
0: In the spring of 2020, it was announced that the pastor, with whom Alice had grown so close, would be moved to serve another congregation downstate.
1: That's kind of where the story begins to end for us, for my husband and I at Trinity. And this is the nature of the itinerancy, in that it's good when it's good, and it's awful when it's awful.
0: You've been listening to What the Hell is a Pastor presents Pioneering Durham Part 1. Tune in next week for Part 2, The Jacksons.